but God being rich in mercy made us alive, alive in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as Brother Trevor prayed earlier, we are so grateful. And if we aren't, we pray you would help us, meet us there, help us to see why we should be. We have so much reasons to be grateful, so many reasons to praise you. And we should be overwhelmed with that. Not about stress, not about the things that we don't have, but God, you've given us so much more. You've given us Jesus himself that he would die for us. Let us see that. Let us see God's faithfulness. And we pray that we would see it more so every day, even right now, that he's faithful to show up, to give us this peace, to let us be here. There's so many other things that we could have been doing, but by your grace, on a random Wednesday night, you let us worship you. You let us choose this to be worthy for our time. And we pray that we would show up, not just be here, um, but really be present. Our intellect everywhere. Help us to worship a God that deserves everything, deserves love. And all you want is you want us, Lord. You choose people like us, which is crazy. So God, help us now. Center us towards you and your kingdom. And let us meet you here. I praise your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts 28, 1 through 10. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Let's pray together. Thank you for having us here in this moment right now. For allowing us to sing songs that are saturated with scripture, to have read the Bible together as an ohana. And again, Lord, we ask that you would awaken within our hearts to recognize what it is we just read. It is the Bible. It's the word of the living God. It is an inspired 10 verses. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable. The word of God is living and active, and it is sharp. And so every time we gather, every time we congregate, every time we read the scripture, as you told us to, we just ask for faith to actually realize what it is we're, we're doing. We heard the voice of God on page. And now we ask that you would 
by the power of your spirit, through the preacher, through the teaching, through the observation, through the simple reading and writing notes on our pages that you would actually communicate with us. I know where everyone's coming from today. I don't know the condition of everyone's heart, and I'm not quite sure everyone's full background or story, but I sure know this. We are all humans living in a broken world, and we all got issues and problems, and we're living in a world that's filled with a bunch of words and news and stuff that kind of occupies our brains and our hearts. And in the middle of a week, in the middle of whatever it is we're feeling, I think we all need a good word. And we all need the Bible. I think we all need to read and hear something that's true that we can bank our lives on. And so do that tonight with these 10 verses. I thank you for the brothers and sisters who are here with me tonight. I look forward to engaging the text together and study. So bless us now, King Jesus. Bless us the way you bless the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Show up in our midst. Open our eyes and let our hearts burn for what is before us. Uh, Father, as we get into it now, we pray that you'd speak. Pray that you speak even prophetically to the people in their lives and circumstances they're in right now. We pray for healing. We pray for your spirit to empower us. We pray for supernatural, unusual, unthinkable kindness and grace. Do it, we pray in your name. Amen. So raise your hand, please, if you uh, are a mystery movie person. Who likes a good mystery movie? All right. Okay. I see this. Okay. Um, how about, um, are you the type of person that likes to watch a mystery film or it doesn't have to be a mystery. I think when we think mystery, we think like that criminal like stuff, but how about just movies with big, thick plots? Um, you like plot movies, like good, thick plots. How about, are you the type of person when you watch, you, you, you watch out loud and you try to call what's going to happen? Oh, great. I'm in great company. My wife has to put up with that. Because we're watching something, and I'm like, oh, easy read. This is the bad guy. This is what's going to happen, and da 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 uh, you know, you, So you, you guys are like that too, right? Um, so, so the rest of you who didn't raise your hand, you're the ones who suffer with us. As we watch and try to pick out the movie, it's like, in your mind, you're like, just, just watch the movie. You know, like, just let it happen. So, do you, so those of us who are like that, do you, though, in a strange way, like, like it when... Um, Sounds like it's stuck. Okay. Oh, John. Why are you making all that ruckus, bro? Look at this guy. He's going to sleep here. That's how. That's called devotion. You know, hey, Jesus slept at, uh, stayed at the church at the temple three days, you know, without his parents knowing. No. Um, but so are you the type of person when you watch it and you see the plot thickening and then you, you kind of get excited to try to guess what's going to happen next? Do you like it, though, when the story actually, like, like, you're like, oh, I did not see that one coming, right? You feel like if you, if you crack the code, you're kind of just like, eh, easy read. I knew that. But then it's like you give the author props when they, they just kind of, like, turn it all on his head, and you're like, no way. Like, I did not. Like, no way, not him. Right? Not out of all the people in this story, no way, right? And, and I think, I think um, you know, if you're a if you like that, if you're if you're, if, I would just tell you then the Bible's your book. I mean, if, if you're the type of person that you're like you think you figured it out and then you realize, oh my gosh, it's totally not that. The Bible's your book. I would even go as far as saying if you're that type of person who enjoys such an adventure, just walk with Jesus. I mean, just just walk with the Lord. Be a follower of Christ because I'm telling you, anyone who walks with God, I mean, think about it. Um, I guarantee Adam had that moment 
of like no way when he saw Eve for the first time. Like, what? No way. You know, like, can you imagine? Um, or how about Noah when he finished the ark? He turns around, he sees two of every kind lining up to board the ark. Yeah, but you gotta kind of wonder in those moments. Those are the moments of like, I did not see that one coming. Like, how is it's one of those things like just just can you imagine like David? No way did my slingshot skills be the one skill that was necessary to kill a giant. Like after the fact, after he slew, slew Goliath, like thinking like this stone. What? You know, like it's one of those things that I think if you walk with God, he always seems to do the unthinkable. You know, um, I mean, I know that to be true. Can you imagine Gideon with his 300 men after victory? No way. You know, like, how about the disciples when Christ called that, like, hey, you, follow me. Hey, you, you, come follow me. Like, everything about walking with God. Like, right when you think you, you, think you know, or you think you figured it out, let me remind us what the, the prophet wrote in Isaiah. He said, seek the Lord while you can find him. And then later he says, you know, repent from your ways, follow him. And his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. That's Isaiah 55. He even say, it actually says this, um, verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if you can walk with this God, that God, expect unthinkable kind of grace. I think tonight's episode is one of those many moments in, in, the, in the life of Paul journeying with Jesus where it was just like, I did not see that one coming. And I hope and pray that as we kind of walk through this story, there's a lot of little things I hope for us to, to glean from it, but I hope to just start us off on this note that just, just, just pause and marvel a little bit, even at the fact that you are here tonight at a Bible study. Do you ever think that would be happening? And you like it. Do you ever think that would be happening? You sing to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who's invisible. I mean, think of the job you have. Think of the, the friends you have. Think of the people, the person you've married, the, the person you hope to marry, or all sorts of things in your life. Oftentimes, if you just rewind the tape in your own life, you'll start to see a lot of unthinkable grace. But here's the thing about unthinkable grace. In the beginning, you didn't think it to be grace. You know what I'm saying? Like, in the very beginning, it's like you look at this, and you have a preconception. You have a thought, and it's typically not. It's actually like, I think this is a grievance. I think this is wrong or this is bad. This is not a good scenario. I don't like this. And it's that very thing that ends up to becoming grace. I think this is what we're seeing a lot in the journey of Paul, and especially in our episode tonight, both ways. I think for Paul and the shipmates, the unthinkable happens. But then even for the islanders, the unthinkable happens. And like Carlos said, all of it is the kindness and the grace of God. And so my hope and my prayer for tonight as we kind of enjoy the text together is that for you in your own journey, in your own life, we talked last week about the storms of this life and how we are to shine. I hope tonight to be more of a message of where we can, through the storms and the trials and the hardships of this life, we can stop and smell the roses and recognize that God's grace is abounding 
And in doing so, if you're a person who's full of the mercy and grace and love of God that is happening around you and to you, guess what you will be? You will be a conduit of unthinkable grace to other people. You're going to be like what we're going to see Paul to be, where he just got through a storm, he just got through a shipwreck, and then he just got through a snake bite. He could have. He had every reason to just kind of go pitch a little tent and just kind of do his own thing and sulk and just maybe recover a little bit. But what is he doing? He's picking up sticks and he's serving sick people. See, he's a man who's so floored by the unthinkable grace of God that he becomes a conduit now for that unthinkable grace to flow through. And he does things. He says things. He, he lives in such a way that is going to cause people to turn their heads around and they're just not going to understand why. And I, and, I, and I would dare to believe that in these months on that island, as they watched him live the way he lived, you best believe he gave glory to Christ. You best believe he not only prayed for their, their wounds and for healing, but he told them of the one who can heal them from their sins. But Let's walk through this together. I just got a small cluster of observations I hope for us to see. And I pray that the Lord, if he has not your attention yet, that he gets it and that you would hear his word tonight, um, receive it, and live it out. So let's pick it up at verse 1, final chapter. Amazing. So after we were brought safely through, right, we know what that's coming from, the storm. Praise God. Can you just imagine that feeling? Wow, God's word came true. We actually made it to land. Then we learned that the island was called Malta. Malta, okay. Melite, or it's, the, it's an island between Africa and Sicily. Anyone? Okay, this is what Melite means. It means honey. Pretty sweet, huh? Through the storm, on some planks washed up on the, the island of honey. And I think it lived up to its name, right? So the native people, okay, we're going to do a little words today on this. The locals, all right? That's what it is in the, in the Greek. When you look it up, it says locals. <laughs> I was like, gee. But anyway, they showed up, the native people, the locals. But here's the Greek word, barbaros. What does that sound like? Exactly, barbarian. That, um, and the reason why they were called barbarians, this is just anyone who's not Greek-speaking in the world right there. So they considered, the, the Greeks thought, you know, the Romans thought, anyone who just does, isn't like us, they're not civilized. Therefore, they're barbarians. Right? That's why when you go watch all those medieval movies, they, 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 they portray the barbarians to be just these, like, you know, kind of uncivilized people. Um, which is cool, though, the Bible here kind of paints them in a different light, Right? Um, but I wanted to bring up this verse, and this is why I think when Hannah brought that observation up, that Paul did preach the gospel to them. Uh, Romans chapter one. Let's just turn. We're not going to look at. We're not going to turn too much tonight. But just a couple, just one page over. Actually, go Romans chapter one. Uh, check out verse fourteen. Romans chapter one. We're talking about the word for native people. We're trying to just get a paint the picture, get a context of who who these peeps are on this island of honey. Uh, verse 14, it says this, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to, what's the word? Barbarians. That's this. Local native islanders. All right? Let, let's not be offended for those of us who are island people. All right? This is just language to describe this person is not like me, meaning a, a Roman Greek person. Right? Rome right now is the most advanced place in the world. All right? 
And so they, they just classified people who did not speak their language as barbarians. But look at what Paul says. I'm under obligation to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. I'm eager to, pre- eager to preach the what? The gospel. Yes, in Rome, but he's under obligation. So you best believe that when he was on this island, these locals got the gospel. But anyway, let, let's turn back to Acts. I just want to get us, give us a good understanding of this native people. They were foreigners. They didn't know the culture. They didn't know the language. So now we know there's probably a language barrier too, right? But then it says, okay, so we, we show up on this island. We figure out it's called Malta, which means honey. And then we see these natives, right? And like Christian brought up an observation. Imagine all the thoughts going on in their mind. <gasps> are they going to eat me? Are they going to help me? Are they going to be nice? Or are they going to be mean? And you just got to imagine you, you just drifted to, to, to shore. You're tired. You're cold. And then you see these native people running down with sticks and fire. I mean, I'd be tripping. <laughs> it's like, hell, hide, hide. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know. How would you react? But anyway, so this is happening. Native people. And then it says they showed us. Now, this is very key that Luke points us this. Unusual kindness. Unusual. Tincano. Meaning it was an unexpected experience. I'm reading it right out of the dictionary, the Greek dictionary. Unusual to them because what they had expected was barbaric behavior. This is what they've been told or whatever. Or maybe it's what they've experienced at other islands. I don't know. Maybe if they showed up on another island, they wouldn't have been. Wouldn't have been so sweet. So anyway, just in this, in this one thing, you see multiple things happening. Their expectations being exceeded. What they thought to be a bad scenario was not a bad scenario. What we see is God's grace, point one, often coming to us in unthinkable ways. Such unusual kindness, they kindle a fire. You got to think, guys, like they were at sea for a long time. I think this is God sealing the deal in his providence and saying, I, I told you, you're going to make it alive. You're going to make it alive. Because just because they made it to land doesn't mean they were going to survive. Any of them could have froze to death that night. Hypothermia or something, right? They were cold, drifting at sea. They hit the shore. And then it says the conditions started to get rain and cold. If there was no fire, they would have died. Like really paint the picture. Can you imagine how strange your emotions must have felt like you show up you're like probably spent you're figured you're not sure if you're gonna even make it through the night you wash up on shore and then these people come down and they start building this big fire for 270 plus people it's not like this little kumbaya like oh they had to build like a big fire that's a lot of work and i just want us to imagine for a moment can you imagine how good that fire felt you're freezing cold And then to be dragged to the heat and to feel the warmth. And then Luke points out, it says they welcomed them. They received them. Meaning they weren't just physically warm. They got that emotional, like, warmth by seeing the the islanders, like, really, like, embrace them hospitably. It says they welcomed us. So you got to imagine physical warmth and inner warmth. Like, can you imagine? Because... I mean, shoot, like, what if, if they weren't nice or if they didn't 
make it obvious they're, they're welcoming them. I, in my mind, I'm thinking survival. Like, okay, you, you trying to just keep me alive to kill me or what? Like, you trying to keep me alive because you like eat me or what? Or are you trying to keep me alive because you're going to sell me as a slave or what? Right? All these thoughts could have been going on in their mind. But here's God's unthinkable grace. Strangers who they've never met before on an island that's so strange to them in a culture that's not like their own. Out of all the islands they could have washed up on shore, it was honey. And it was a people that were so sweet and kind. See, I think in a moment like that, a worshiper like Paul worshiped. God's grace often comes to us in unthinkable ways. Perhaps you're in a circumstance tonight that at, at first glance looks terrible. At first glance, it looks dangerous. At first glance, it looks like, I don't know if I want this. This is, mm, looks like a thorn or it looks like a grievance. But can you imagine if that very situation, that very circumstance, that very scenario that you are pleading with God to get rid of, what if that's the season or the circumstance that God's going to actually use to keep you warm, to restore you? This is just how God is all the time. Unthinkable grace. Like little did Abraham know that when he was about to offer his son, that boom, there would be a ram in the thicket. Unthinkable. Little did Miriam know that when she put her baby brother in that basket and sent him down the Nile, sent him down the river, that he would actually get washed up into Pharaoh's household. And that would be the beginning of him rising up to be the redeemer and the savior of. Like, little did she know. She's just sending her little baby brother down, which is Moses, and this looks terrible. Little did David know, right, that the sling and the stone would be what saves Israel. Little did I know that a church that I grew up in that I once despised and cursed from the side of the road, true story, never thinking to ever darken the door of this place again would be the very local church that God would use to, to redeem and restore me in, in unimaginable ways. To be a church that I love now, and it is a great privilege and honor to serve as one of the pastors here. Little did I know. There's things right now in your life, at first glance, it just looks like a stranded island with horror. But what if, brother, sister, that is the very thing that God is going to use to keep you warm? Our lives are full of unthinkable grace. If you just take a moment to stop and look back. So if he's done that for you in the past, why would he not be doing that for you in the present? Let's keep going. God's grace coming to us in unthinkable ways. I love it. It's beautiful. Verse 3. So Paul, look at Paul. He got to high-five this guy. He's gathering a bundle of sticks. I mean, hands down, this guy's a leader. He's the most influential person on the voyage. Like, like the, the captain, the, the uh, Julie, uh, Julius, is, they all listen to Paul. Whatever he says, it's like, okay. Now you see this guy being a servant leader. He's picking up sticks. It's so noteworthy that Luke needs to note it. 
Guys, he could have just said Paul got bit by a snake. No, he said, no, no, no. He was picking up bundles of sticks. That's just noteworthy for me. I think um, it stands out because great men don't think themselves above little tasks. Great men don't think themselves above little tasks. John the Baptist says, one greater than I is coming, speaking of Jesus. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. What makes Paul such a great, big, giant of faith is the little things like this. I know those of you, many of us, you serve in little ways. They're not so little, I'm telling you. It's not just slides. It's not just this. It's not just putting the chairs away. It's not just little things. See, Paul didn't think small of this. Why? Because this was for the king. He was loving people. Think of what this man just went through. He spent, it's been a long work months, and he's tired. Everyone's spent and tired. I wonder if the grace of God, the unthinkable grace of God was so moving to him that he's like, I'm going to get some sticks. I'm helping with this fire. Hey, you, um, I know I don't speak your language, but hey, where did I get those sticks? Where'd you get that? Can you imagine Paul just like, he's like, I'm going to do something. You know, I'm going I'm to go and bundle up some sticks. And one of the ones he grabbed is not a stick, right? It's a viper. It says a viper fastened his hand. And then the natives, the locals saw it. Can you imagine the faces on the locals? Oh. Can you just imagine being wrestling with the viper? That's pretty epic. Poor Paul. Whenever you want to do good, right? But I, I, want to, I want to highlight this. The native people saw, and then it says, they said, no doubt he's a murderer. Justice has not allowed him to live. Okay, let's, let's just talk about this a little bit. The native, the locals, the non-believers saw, and then they jumped to, uh, they drew conclusions. And justice, they're speaking of a goddess, uh, Zeus's daughter. That's why it's a capital J that's going to carry out punishment. And they're thinking like, oh, he's not favored with the gods, you know, or whatever they said. And then, and it's like, oh, of course he's going to die. But I just want to point this out here really quick. Um, Non-believers are watching. They're watching you. They're watching Paul. They're watching and they're drawing conclusions. Now, Paul, again, like my pop said, I mean, he goes from one hardship to the next, one weakness to the next. Storm, weakness, God sees them through. Shipwrecked, weakness, God sees them through to the land. Power, grace, snake bite, weakness, and then it reads on. He shook it off. That's just so manly <laughs> like that. He was like, ah, you know, <laughs> Luke's not like, oh, he screamed and he made a whole big fuss about it. Like, and Paul was complaining for an hour or so. He just like, I just feel that's so manly, but so like secure in the promises of God. Like God told him, you can get to Rome. He sees this viper on him. <laughs> Boom. Just shakes it off. And then the, the, the locals witnessed, he suffered no harm. And then it says they waited. Wait, let's, let's wait. Let's just see him swell up. He's going to die. Like, guaranteed this guy's going to die. And then when they waited, they saw no misfortune. And it says what? They changed their minds. Like, oh. And then they jumped to the far extreme, right? Pretty fickle as people, right? Paul, oh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I hate you to like, I love you. But um, 
I just want us to see this though, like what the non-believers were witnessing. They're, they're witnessing God's power made perfect in weakness. I mean, Paul speaks of this again and again in his letters of all the hardships and all the things he said, I boast in my weakness. And he's thinking of things like storms and snake bites and sleepless nights and persecution, all that kind of, all the weakness in Paul's life. You know what he ends up doing? Second Corinthians chapter 12, read the whole chapter, but I'll just read you this one verse. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Snake bite, whoosh. Paul, it's another day of another journey of walking with God. But the people around Paul, you know what they're seeing? Something about that man and divinity is connected. He's a God or something. They're trying to draw conclusions. See, what's, what's happening is they're seeing power made perfect in weakness. They're looking at a man's life and they're being stunned by what they're seeing. What kind of conclusions do people draw of you, non-Christians? When they look at you, when they look at us, if they look and watch and wait, they can judge. They can, they can be all like, you know, judgmental in the beginning. But if they were to really watch your life for a good bit, like these guys, they waited, what would they see? What kind of conclusions would they draw? Would they draw conclusions like, Something about that guy. Something about that girl. Would they come to the place of saying, I think the God they worship is real. This is the life that Paul lived. This is the life all of us are called to live. It's a life of power, church. Oh, don't you want that power? To walk through this life in such a way. Shaking off snakes. Picking up sticks after you've been through a storm carrying ourselves with such strength and grace that we know does not come from us. And when the locals check us out, something about that person is godly. Now, of course, their conclusion is wrong. He's not a god, but he is a man that's being carried by the grace of God. You know, it's interesting about their, their observations of this man. They're not all wrong. I mean, in some sense, Paul was a murderer, Right? And in some sense, if he did die, justice would have been served, right? Paul would agree with that. But what do we know by reading the whole book of Acts? That Paul is a sinner who's saved by grace. See, the power made perfect in this weakness ultimately it culminates into Paul's a man living in grace. Every storm, every snake bite, every circumstance, every weakness that he faces in this life, Paul is clear on this. It's by the grace of God that I am that I am and that I'm carrying through. You know, I think of the circumstances in your lives right now that many of you share with me. It's a weakness. It's a, it's a weak circumstance. Brother Trevor, right before this, right? We were hearkening back to last week, this time when his son broke his leg. Right now, Lauren is in weakness. But these moments of weakness, Paul has learned in his life of suffering to boast in them, not to be happy about it. God is not happy that his leg is broken. God is not happy that you're sick or your, your mom has cancer or your situations are junk. That doesn't bring God joy. But what brings him joy is us looking through the storm and looking through the pain and trusting him, believing on him, knowing that you're going to use this weakness to glorify yourself. You're going to use this to draw eyes to not us, but through us to him. 
Let your light so shine that those who see your good works will glorify the Father in heaven. The locals of the land, they're, they're beginning to see this in this man. And they're going to see more in the months to come. And I love that Luke labors to give us all the details of Paul's character and not just the supernatural praying, healing, and everyone's healed. This is a man who bundles up sticks after he's been through a storm. So there's a lot of things that they're looking at this guy and they're like, I ain't seen nothing like this. I wonder, do people say that of us? I pray that people say that of us. Paul is not just the Acts 26 Paul who preaches before kings and governors. He's the Acts 27 and 28 Paul who lives, who practices what he preaches. We're going to see it more flesh out. Let's keep going to close. Verse 7, it says, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man on the island named Publius, not a poop, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. That's so cool. Verse 8, it so happened, not by accident, it's just providential, that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and a century. Things I want to point out, I like that they use the, the word neighborhood. Luke says, you know, in the neighborhood, this is who was in the neighborhood, and this is the pain that was going on in the neighborhood. Why I think that's so cool is because there's a, here's the point. Paul and the boys, I, I just added that in, the boys, but Paul was aware of the grief in the neighborhood. But they washed up on land. Okay, this is Malta. Okay, there's natives. Now they're in the, in the hood. But notice that Luke points out pain that's happening in the hood. I just love that. I love that they're aware. I mean, they got their own, their own problems. They've just been through a storm and a snake bite. But now they're aware that Publius, the guy who's been taking care of them, his dad's sick. I love that. And just some things I want to point out. You know, Publius is a great guy. He's a rich guy. He's a good guy. He's, he has a moral compass. But even men, even people who are good-natured, if you want to use that terminology, who have a moral compass, who do good things, all of us, rich, poor, good, not so good, we are all faced with the same realities of sickness and death. It's all the cause and the effects of the fall, guys. You can't run from these realities. And I think this is just a brief reminder. All sickness, broken legs, COVID, cancer, whatever you want to put on it, it's all effects of sin and the fall. And we're all living in this world. And right now, Paul is in a neighborhood filled with it. Whether he's in Malta or back in Jerusalem, there's people that are sick like this. But Paul now in his life and his journey is in the hood and he comes to find there's someone hurting. Are you aware? Are we aware of the pain that's in our neighborhoods? Like, are we aware of it? You know, Galatians says we're to carry each other's burdens, but how are we going to do that if we're not even aware? And I'm not talking about general pain. Like general things like, oh, am I aware that our church has single people and they probably struggle with single people's struggles? Of course I'm aware of that. Or our, our church is, is filled with senior adults who are taking care of their aging family, and that's a big burden to bear, to, to have to figure out all the logistics of seeing your parent go home. And then all the, the internal strife of what goes on in the family of when mom dies or dad dies. I think those are general burdens that, yeah, I'm aware of. But no, am I aware 
like Publius's father is sick with fever and dysentery. You see how detailed that is? How'd they get all those details? They asked. Wait, Publius, you okay? How come you look so sad today? My father, he's not doing so well. What do you mean he's not doing so well? He's got a fever. He actually has dysentery. Dysentery is one of those things that it doesn't heal overnight. It takes months. It takes years if you survived it. So everyone knew when you have a fever dysentery, it's like, oh, you're going to be sick for a long time. But how does Luke get all these details? They had to have gotten aware of it. They didn't have breaking news, you know. Publius, his father, his fever dysentery, and they're just reading it on their feed. They're on the island in the hood, and they're actually looking and seeing what's going on, and they're aware of the pain. I just, I just hope and pray, Christian, tonight, if you call yourself a Christian, that God, the Spirit, would cultivate in our hearts a genuine concern for people. I mean, there's people around you right now. Do you care to be aware of the pain that the soul right next to you is sitting through? Do you want to know? It reads on, it says, it wasn't like, oh, man, your, your pops get fever. Suck. Sorry, dog. What does he do? And Paul visited. That's enough for me to just take home and chew on. Iserkomai. I love how the Greek puts it. To enter into an experience. Isn't that crazy? That's what, the, that's what a visitation is. Paul could have just sent a text through some person. Hey, give Publius Mike the kind. Let him know. Love you, bro. Praying for you. Praying for dad. No, but what, is, what does Paul decide to do? I'm going in. I'm going to enter into this experience. Paul didn't need to go out of his way to visit. I'm sure the locals were like, bro, you're all busts up. Just rest. And Paul's like, after I finish with these sticks, I want to go see dad. Can you imagine how shocking that was for Publius? Can you imagine how shocking that was for the father? To have this man come and visit you? He just met? This is the type of man Paul is. Acts chapter 20, verse 20, when he talks to the Ephesian elders about how he loved the church. He says, I didn't stop declaring to you the teaching, but I also house to house. House to house. What does that mean? Paul's the kind of guy that just doesn't come true. I can give you a call, but I, I'd rather come true. I'd like to see you. I want to hear your voice. Don't you love that? Romans chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, I long to see you. I want to see you. Guys, I come to church, and I'm here to worship Jesus, and I love that. I'm so excited to come here and just every Wednesday, every Sunday, and worship our Father, our King, our God. But on the same, on the opposite side of the same coin, I am here because I want to see you. I want to encourage someone. I want to be encouraged by someone. I want to visit with someone. Now, that's a heart that is supernatural and only given to us by the ultimate example, Jesus, who decided to come from heaven to earth to visit us Taking on the form of flesh, a baby. Here's the point. 
Paul was not only aware of the pain in the neighborhood, but Paul acquainted himself with their grief. Paul is imitating Jesus, 1 Corinthians 11. He, he doesn't just tell people to follow Christ. He literally is following Christ. He lives this stuff. He learned this from Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 3, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. How can that be true? Unless the king came down and know what it felt like to sweat, to bleed, to scrape his knees, to be stabbed in the back, to be lied to, cheated on, misunderstood, hated, harassed, persecuted, spat on, beat, smitten. Whatever grief and pain you're in tonight, I want to tell you and I want to let you know, Jesus is a man of sorrows. Take your sorrows to him. Jesus is acquainted with grief, all forms of it, depression, oppression, all of the shins, all of it all. None of that scares him. None of that's unfamiliar with him. We have the most sympathetic, empathetic God. It, it just wild, it's, it blows my mind. Come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you a high five. No. I'm going to be with you there in the pain. I love that Jesus can always look me in the eye and say, I feel you. Been there. Paul is embodying this. Paul got this from Jesus. You know, if you look up, because we're going to see now what Paul does after he visits, which is powerful. But when you study the life of Jesus and his healing ministry and how he visited people, what we're going to see to close is what we're going to see right now, praying, laying hands, healing, all of that, what it really does express, it, it reveals to us the heart of God. Like Paul heard Publius, his dad, has got it bad. And what moved him to visit? It wasn't like, oh, perfect, an opportunity for me to do a miraculous healing. I don't think that was the case. I don't think that was the case even for Jesus. I don't think Jesus fed 5,000 because he thought, oh, perfect, I can show off my divinity. Sure, that was made known, that you are God. But you know what it says if you read the text? He was bummed that they were hungry. It says he was moved with compassion. He felt sad that these guys have been here all day and they're hungry. We've got to feed them. That's what moved him to action. In Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds and they were harassed and helpless, you know what moved Jesus to do healings? I was moved with compassion. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're in pain. I got to do something. This is at the heart of what Paul, what's in Paul's heart as he's walking over to the father's house. And then he says, he gets there and it says he prayed. That's big, guys. He prayed. Why? Because Paul wants to make it very clear at the outset. Whatever happens here is all the work of God. I love prayer. Who would have thought I'd ever say that? I used to despise prayer as a little boy. I thought prayer was the thing that makes your food cold. When dad can't cut, keep the prayer under 30 seconds. You know? Prayer was the thing that just is strange and weird. 
But oh man, when you tap into it and you know who it is you approach, like Paul is right now, when he visits, the first thing he does, the first thing he does is he prays and he prayed and he put his hands on him. He lays his hands on him. That is an act of faith. I love that. So when I pray for people, when they're hurting or whatever, you know, when I visited Lauren this week and I prayed for him, I, I laid my hand on him. There's something powerful and precious about it. It's showing tangibly, I'm, I'm coming into this experience. I'm with you, man. I'm here. Why is it so significant when Jesus looked at the man and he touched him? Nobody does that to sick people. Paul didn't walk in with his face mask and six feet and, hey, what's up, Father? No, he got all up in there, prayed, and put his hands on him. Fever, dysentery, and all. That's beautiful. Paul is the kind of guy who's embodying the spirit of Christ, who he's a hands-on kind of minister. I love that. I love that. He lays his hands and healed him. Now, remember, he prayed so we know Paul didn't heal him. God healed him. The power of God through Paul. Paul was a conduit. Think of this, church. You and I, as Christians, as children of God, we're conduits of unthinkable grace. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the power of God to not only save souls but heal the sick? I do. I believe it with all my heart. I pray that it manifests itself of us becoming people who visit, though. See, if, if we're going to experience anything like this, we have to have his heart. We've got to be moved by compassion. These are things that I really believe the Bible, the New Testament, is wanting us to see why would the authors express so much when Jesus prayed for people, laid hands on people, that he was often moved with compassion. That's Matthew 9, 35 to 36. He had compassion. That's your bowels being stirred. Matthew 15, 32. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowds. They're hungry. Then he fed the 5,000. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, you know what Jesus did? He wept. It wasn't just mere moments of miraculous to show off his power. Jesus was not this itinerant preacher that went from city to city to do his thing and show off his glory like that and say, I'm the king. No, he went from city to city heartbroken. Paul is going from city to city, village to village, island, and he's embracing people's pain. Like, does it grieve us that it's raining tonight because there's people who don't have a house? Like, does it even move us? Does it do anything inwardly when you get a text from a friend that so-and-so just got diagnosed with this? Is it just like, a, oh, sad? Or do you take a, take a, take a season to sit in that pain? You know, as a, when I prayed for Lauren this week, I took a moment to just sit and imagine myself as Lauren at his age, wanting to do the things that a young boy wants to do. And I just said, that sucks. That hurts me. That he can't run around and play yet. That the doctors tell him three months, you got to wait. It hurts me to think of that for him. Then I pray. I don't know if we know as a church how, this is the part of Christianity, Christian ministry that I think is lacking. We may be well of preaching good doctrine and sound theology, but do we hurt? Do we grieve? Do we visit with people? Do we get dirty? Do we want to get in each other's business? 
not to gossip and know the juicy details, but to just share in that pain. You know, if you and I just open ourselves up as conduits and are just willing, you would be surprised how much your phone will blow up with people asking for prayer or to just hang or to just be. Paul had this effect. It's the Jesus effect. It wasn't enough to just herald truth, talk about the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Paul believed it and he lived it. He not only was aware of people's pain, but he acquainted himself with their grief. Do we grieve for people? I want to challenge us to think about that, but move into that space. I read in a book recently, two pastors, Mark Dever and Mark, I don't know how to say his last name. I'm going to butcher it. Rogop, I think. Anyway, they were on a conference call and he was telling the story and he said, oh, Pastor Mark said, it's a bunch of pastors on a phone call. And he said, brothers, we watch the news so we know how to pray. I was like, oh, we watch the news so we know how to pray. And then the other Mark, the other pastor Mark said, and to add on to that, we watch the news so we know how to grieve. Like, why do you watch, why do we watch the news now? I know some of us, we don't want to watch the news. But here's what we can do. We can face the reality of the darkness and the pain and the wickedness in this life, knowing that we have a God who is able, who's in control, who is able to save the uttermost, and he will set that thing in motion. The news lines will end. King Jesus will come and restore all this, and it will be good. And until then, what we can do is be conduits of this unthinkable grace, enter into people's experience, Pray for nations. Pray for politicians. Pray for local news. Pray for, I want to be aware of the pain on my street. I want to be conscious of the widow that lives next door to me. And that every night she blasts her music to drown out pain. I want that to hurt me. I want that to mess with me. Because then and only then will I actually begin to care and pray. And when I see her taking the mail out, I'll get excited to say hi. I'll run over to give her a hug and say, how was your day? Just a conduit of grace. Oh, Chris, I never known anybody like you. That's all, Jesus. To close, verse 10. They honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put us on a board, on board whatever we needed. In closing, real briefly, Paul showed up to encourage and he left mutually encouraged. Don't you love that? He gave himself to the needs of others and God took, a, took care of his every need. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be taken care of. Paul just gave himself the bundling sticks, praying for the sick, just being in the neighborhood that he's in. Where are you tonight? Who are you around? Wake up. Say, 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 Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see the brokenness and the pain around me. Use me. If you're a Christian, you're good. You're redeemed. When you die, you know what happens after. So use me now. Do something through this, whatever this is, God. Whatever you want it to be. 
and guarantee this, you're going to have the most exhilarating prayer moments and journal entries because you're going to experience life in such an unthinkable way. You're going to, you're going to have all those no way moments. No way. How can? No way. Unreal. That's wild. You're crazy. That's crazy. Do you, do you have moments like that in prayer yet with God? You just think, think of him and who, he's, who he is and what he's done in your life and around. And just, oh, that's what you have coming for you. It all begins with faith in Christ, following Christ. Paul lives like this because of his faith in Jesus. Remember where Paul came from, guys. We're almost done with Acts. This is the last chapter. And Paul is going to finish this well. So let's glean every bit we can from him. And so I, I just want to close with just some devotional questions. Are you aware? Are you aware of the pain around you? Are you willing to be acquainted with that grief? And are you ready to be a conduit of the unthinkable grace of God as it comes to you now through you? All right? Let's, let's pray. Lord, we, we know that in this time and space and in this moment, there is a lot happening. I can see on my brothers and sisters' faces as we studied, as they took notes, as they thought, as they pondered, that they're, they're thinking of themselves, they're thinking of others, they're thinking of scenarios around them. And so, sovereign God, as we saw you do it in Paul's life, taking him from place to place, neighborhood to neighborhood, open our eyes to the things that are unseen. Pray that as we sing and as we fellowship tonight, that you'd make us aware of pain and grief, but that we'd enter into that space together to fulfill the law of Christ, carrying one another's burdens. Shine through us. Lead us, guide us. We love you. Thank you for another week of study. We pray these things in your name. Amen. church go out and be go out and be vessels of his glory